Morbjog. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Sherlock. Sure listen, the podcast taking a pop at culture. Sherlock, sure listen. Sherlock, sure listen. Sherlock, sure listen. Sherlock, sure listen. Sherlock. Sure listen. Sherlock, sure listen. Sherlock, sure listen. Oh, very good, Benjamin. We're back for another episode, including a deep dive into the secret origins behind one Ben Colopy. But sure, look, we don't have time to look at that at the moment because we've loads to look at in pop culture news, including Marvel's What If Season 2, also known as Who Cares? And we have an animated feature. Is it a feature? Of Merry Little Batman. And we've seen... Probably the dullest and least exciting trailer of all time in Madame Web. But then, in order to tamper down that excitement, Ben, but not me, but Ben, you've seen all of Blue-Eyed Samurai, I think. I have. Because you're the, you're the podcast anime boy now. I'm the, I'm the anime boy. That's what I am, unfortunately. my if, if my younger self could see me, Michael, he would seethe, seethe, I tell you with venom and bile. However, luckily, that long-haired, spectacle-wearing goofbag can't get me now, because I'm in the future. Yeah, you're in your 30s and you have a podcast. (laughs) Maybe I'm not as far ahead as I thought I was. (laughs) Show him. Listen, Michael, if that wasn't depressing enough, capitalism's pretty bad. So we're taking our third attempt, our swing and a miss, if this doesn't come off without a hitch, Michael, at what's going on in that creepy office. What's going on? The origins of the creepy capitalism genre. Very good, Ben. Speaking, Benjamin, of creepy capitalism, our overlords at Marvel Disney have released a new trailer this week. Yeah, look. um, What? We got What If Season 2's trailer. Yeah, it's fine, isn't it? Cool. Is it? Maybe. Benjamin, the biggest missed opportunity on these What Ifs is that they all have the same animation style. I mean... Michael, we we live in a golden age of animated anthologies. Oh yeah, like we've we've got our bloody Love, Death, and Robots. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very good. Yeah, you've got the brand new Afrofuturism series on Disney Plus, whose name I cannot remember because I'm a racist. Yeah, yeah, you're classic racist. But they're all um, based on African futurism, Michael, and given their own unique animation styles. We've got Star Wars Legends, so the Animatrix. The Animatrix. 2002's The Animatrix. Get out of here. But come here to me. This one is always the same generic block cell shaded 3D modelled garbage. Very upsetting. But anyway, look, season one wasn't terrible and season two is coming out, Benjamin. And we have a tentative, I think it's real, but our man on the inside, Benjamin, who you nearly revealed last week, he sent us a tentative episode list. Oh, yeah. Go on, go on. Uh, well. Look at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at you with juicy bits. Yeah, 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 Benjamin. But, uh, like, uh, a lot of them, not super exciting, unfortunately. Aww. Like, what if... Aww. Benjamin, what if Captain Carter fought the Hydra Stomper? Who's the Hydra Stomper, Michael? Steve Rogers. Remember when Steve Rogers was in the Big Iron Man? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I thought for a second, Ben, that maybe... um. Maybe there's a little boy in it. Did you see the little boy? The little boy that the Avengers tried to take out? Yeah, I saw that little boy fighting the Avengers, Ben. And do you know who I thought it was? Do you know who I immediately thought it was? Well, go on. Do you think it's who I thought it was? 
I thought it was either one of two possibilities, Michael. Go on. I thought it might have been Crispy Rats Star Lord oh, as a young fella. Yeah. Or Yes. I thought it might have been Professor Charles Xavier's wayward son with multiple personalities. Oh. None other then Legion's young fella. Yeah. David. David Haller. Well, Benjamin, who I thought it was, was classic Avengers and comic book villain Michael Korvac. Oh, go on. You'd be familiar with Michael Korvac, Benjamin, because he's one of the classic Avengers villains. And he was basically a normal boy who got godlike omnipotence. Now, that sounds about right, doesn't it? And then the Avengers were like, well, we beat him up. But they couldn't beat him up, Benjamin, because he was too powerful. Because he's got near godlike omnipotence, Michael. Exactly. And they have to be like, yeah. listen, um, could you not turn everyone into corn? And he's like, no, Please. I love corn. <laughs> so he turns everyone into I'll turn the back once I've had my fill of corn. Yeah. Well, not the not the, the the grain corn, Benjamin. The uh the late nineties, early two thousands metal act corn. New metals princes? Yeah, the corn. Yeah, with a backwards K. With all their leashes around those freaks. Yeah, yeah, those are the fellas. But it's not, no, it's, it's Peter Quill. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. It's Star-Lord. The episode's name is, What If Peter Quill Attacked Earth's Mightiest Heroes? Well, that's shite, isn't it? Ah, oh, rubbish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, maybe the most exciting one, Ben, though, is this one. What if the Avengers... Are you familiar with the Avengers? Yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, what if the Avengers assembled in 1602... Oh, that's a classic, Michael. We've read that comic on none other than bloody the the Ireland's premier yes. comic book book reading club. Yeah, collecting issues. The bi-weekly collecting comic book, book club. Benjamin, tell the listeners what 1602 is. 1602 is a comic book written by Neil Gaiman. Oh, yeah. And um, it is heavily centred around a Marvel universe that happens in an alternate timeline and uh, parallel universe Michael but it's it's all it's all around the time of the Puritans Michael as they take over bloody America oh yeah 1602 yeah 1602 you've been yeah. possessed by the spirit of Matt Berry there briefly Benjamin Benjamin yes yeah one of the things about this show here's the thing about this show right when this show first came out the very concept of alternate timelines and dimensions was so exciting and enticing yeah but now it's everything Oh, it's just boring, man. It's just, <laughs> I've had it. But here's the thing, Michael. We, we've talked before about overstacking yeah. your Jenga tower. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and at a certain point, Michael, you've overpowered certain characters. What we've just seen last week, Michael, is the wrapping up of Loki season two, where Loki has ascended all timelines. Yes. To become the god of stories. Great stuff. And that's... That's an elevation beyond even what we understand, Michael, because in the comics, he becomes God of Stories and is the God of Stories in Earth 616. Mm. He's not a multiversal being. In the new continuity of the MCU, Michael, Loki has become an omnipotent multiversal being called the God of Stories. I don't know if he has been, because here's the problem with Loki. It's Go on. because this is spiralling rapidly out of control and there's no oversight on this storytelling, it's really That's unclear wrong. if the alternate dimensions in Loki were alternate timelines within the 616 dimension or alternate yeah. dimensions. 
It's true. We don't know. We don't know because it's all horseshite anyway. So it's impossible to tell. So when Loki was gathering up those strands, was he gathering up every strand of possibility of the timelines of his dimension? Or was he gathering up all of the strands of other dimensions, including the dimension where the X-Men live? Well, that that leads us to another little question, Michael. Go on. In that, how do we define what creates a parallel universe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it a splintering of timeline or is it just something altogether different? Entirely separate. And then why is Kelsey Grammer in it, if that's the case? And then why is Kelsey Grammer in it? Oh, very good, Michael. We've, we've spoiled nothing there. <laughs> I haven't spoiled anything. There's no spoilers on this show. <laughs> no spoilers on this show, motherfucker. Um, but come here to me, Michael. One of the things I found hilarious, one of the little bits of irony that I went, mm, nom, 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 and I licked my fingers over, was uh, Jeffrey Wright's voiceover going, I don't normally do sequels. And I was like, nobody at Marvel has ever said that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not true. Yeah, so, I mean, can the Watcher, can the Watcher see Loki? Or are there, like, are there infinite Lokis stringing together infinite collections of Idrisils? Or is Loki on par with the Watcher? Ah, uh, who knows or cares? Who knows or cares, Michael? Speaking of things that nobody cares about, Yes, go Michael, on. Did you see the trailer for Merry Little Batman? Benjamin, I did see the trailer for Merry Little Batman. I was thoroughly amused by it. First of all, though, I'm gonna need to. T- I'm gonna need you to tell me something. Yes. What are they doing here? What's this style they're aping? What are What are they doing? It has a little smack. Yes. Of a Peanuts style Calvin and Hobbes comic drawing. Is that what it is? It's it's a little bit that, but it's also a little bit Horton Hears a Who. It's it's a little bit Grinchy. There's there's a lot of peppering going on. They've gone for a very whimsical, festive animation style, mm. Michael. And the really interesting thing is they've chosen one of the most festive and whimsical of all of the Batman characters, Damian Wayne. Yeah, traditionally not at all, Michael. No, that was the bit. Um, that was the bit I was doing, boy. Yes, that's the bit you're doing. So Merry Little Batman is centred around a world, first of all, where Batman has succeeded. Yes. Give or take. Yeah. And he's taken a bit of time off to raise his sunny boy Jim. Mm, not Jim, though. Damien. Damien. And he's grown a beard, Michael. That's a bit that they do in the thing. Mm. And, uh, yeah, but then, Michael, then, who comes back, Michael? Come on. The baddies. Me. Baddies, Michael. Primarily El Numero Uno baddie in uh, El Gotham City, because we were doing a Spanish thing there for some reason. But uh, he comes back. It's the Joker, Michael. I don't know if we were doing a Spanish thing, were we? Uh, well, I just said Numero Uno, you see, oh, so I just continued doing good. that. Yeah, yeah. I don't actually consider that Spanish, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Um, it, well, it's not really a matter of considering it Spanish. It is Spanish. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I don't, we'll get to that another time. I don't consider it Spanish. Anyway, Michael. Anyway. He comes back and everybody's got to deal with that. This, Michael, I have to say, I found it very entertaining. Now, the internet's very annoyed about it. They're like, oh, obviously this was made by someone who's never seen a Batman thing. Or it's been made by someone who's seen every single Batman thing ever done and gone, do you want to do something a bit different? Yeah, will we make something farcical? Will we have Damian Wayne be a little Batman? It is Christmas after all. Yeah, the most farcical season. Yeah. So, I look, I think this also has a lot to do with Harley Quinn on HBO Max, uh, Michael. No longer called HBO Max. What's it called now? HBO Min. It's been renewed. I think it's just called Max. Yes, it's been renewed for season five, Michael. Incredible stuff. And that takes a very farcical, whimsical tone with all things Batman. Hmm. 
So I'd imagine that's what we're getting. Quite a quite a stacked cast, Michael, of a who's who of television royalty. Luke Wilson is Bruce Wayne. Luke or Owen Wilson? It just it's just it's just the other fella. It's Luke. Oh wow. Um, David Hornsby, who people might know as Cricket, off of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, or as I think it's Matthew in Mythic Quest on Apple TV. I'm not sure, I can't remember his name exactly in that, but he's there giving the voice to the Joker. Oh, is that him? It's not Mark Hamill. That's him. It's not Mark Hamill. James Cromwell is giving the voice to Alfred Pennyworth. You'll know him from the uh, the the ultimate 90s childhood phrase, that'll do, pig. That'll do. Oh, he's Babe's dad. He's Babe's dad. So he's he's Alfred. And, and that's pretty much it for the, for the royalty end of things, Michael. But still, you know, it's a nice little cast. Look, it's very silly. Let's be honest. Let's let's... It's a silly little thing, but it's for Christmas. So just book up internet, will you? <laughs> book up internet and let us enjoy silly little spin-offs of our most popular and enduring characters. Speaking of which, Benjamin, <laughs> we finally got... That was a good fucking segue. We finally got... We finally got the trailer for the incredibly long-awaited... What's it called again? Madame Webb. <laughs> Madame Webb. Madame yeah. Cobweb. Uh, La- Lady Cobb. Lady, I, I can't remember. La- the Webby Ladies. And then, let me tell you, here's what it is. Four spider women. Uh, Michael, how about how about one? Nah, two. Nah, nah, nah. Take fucking four. Four. Bang four of them in it and make sure they all sound bored as shit. Michael, two of them are the same, but we'll get into that in a second. Oh, this is um, great. This is so exciting. Michael, this continues Sony's long line of, well, who's that B-list character? Stick him in a film. Yeah, are they a baddie or a goodie? It doesn't matter. Give them mystical lion powers. But Michael, I think this this simultaneously shows Sony's tone deafness and also them listening to their audience because everybody's been kind of like, why do you keep doing it with villains? Just give us a hero story from one of those. So they went, oh yeah, we'll give you Madame Web. We'll, we'll stick her in there. But also, it's still completely tone deaf, Michael, because these aren't B-list characters. No. <laughs> They're fucking D-listers. No, worse, this lower. Keep going. Keep going. This goes <laughs> off the English alphabet, Benjamin. This is bad, man. Um, Madam Webb, in the first place, is played by Dakota Johnson. Dakota Johnson, Benjamin. I'll watch anything with Dakota Johnson in it. And you know that. And even I was bored. Michael, she seemed bored. Oh, Benjamin. This has one of the greatest lines of all time. That woman was with my mother just before she died when she was (laughs) investigating spiders in the Amazon rainforest. Now, I've put a little bit more emotion into it there than Dakota Johnson does. But it's a fabulous line. In fairness, Michael, Madame Webb's powers could be seen as exposition. Yeah. So it might not be a million miles off. Madame Webb came to us in 1980, Michael, all the way back in 1980, in Amazing Spider-Man 210. So many numbers. So many numbers, Michael. And it was Denny O'Neill who passed away last year? Or the year before, yeah. Um, and John Romita Jr., who is one of the most famous Spider-Man artists that you could get your hands on and i believe still alive and believe still alive um her real name is cassandra webb so she's mm-hmm. madam webb to the rest of us and she's a mutant she's not spider based at all no she just likes um, spider themed stuff yeah and she's got loads of it, it, somebody basically said what if we got a fortune teller mm. And we gave her superpowers related to fortune telling so yeah. she's got a bit of telepathy a bit of clairvoyance and a lot of precognition mm. Now, I don't know what the difference between precognition and clairvoyance is. No, I think they're the same. 
but they're probably the same. Some very important traits, Michael. She's blind. Not in this, she's not. Not in this. She also doesn't look to have the the chronic neuromuscular disease that keeps her bound to her web chair. Although, Benjamin, you know as well as I do that many disabilities are invisible. (laughs) Yes. So shut up. Absolutely. Because we don't see disability, Michael, on this podcast. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that she might have a chronic neuromuscular disease. And just because you didn't see it in the two minutes that you saw her doesn't mean she doesn't have... So shut up, you. You listen here. You get wrecked, right? (laughs) You little little scrub over there. This is my time to shine. I do the research on this fucking Oh, I could have told you all this. I know, Michael, but you didn't. And that's the important thing. Um, Her rise to fame or her prominence for a lot of millennials is probably from the animated Spider-Man series in the 1990s. Yeah, she she's played the one a huge who, role in she's that. She's the one who says, Peter Parker, come with me and I'll show you all of these other Spider-Men. And then Spider-Man, I must call on you again. And then one of the Spider-Man is like, I'm just the guy who plays Peter Parker on TV. And she says, any one of you can have a hero inside you. Would you like that? Would you like me to be inside you? No, that was a different version I watched. Yes, that's that's Madame Webb, <laughs> and she's the Madame of the Web, the best little web house in Texas, oh, Michael. Good, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, what is it? She's she's going to be in this, and she's going to be young and not old. Yeah, <laughs> she might have an invisible disability. We don't. We know. don't know. We can't tell. Um, Adam Wyatt is in this for some reason, Michael. Ben Wyatt, sorry, played by Adam Scott. Adam I mixed Scott up is two in things it. there. Is he Uncle Ben? Adam Scott's in there. As a love interest, I guess. I don't know. What if he's Mobius from an alternate timeline? Oh. Morbius, not Mobius. Fuck. No, Morbius. I hope he's Morbius. <laughs> I can't keep up with this anymore, Michael. Benjamin, this is mad. So basically the plot is evil Spider-Man. Yes. He's coming to get... Ezekiel Sims, Michael. He's coming to get all the girls. Yeah. And the girls are going to do a big sassy team up. And take him down with the power of girls and clairvoyance. Yeah. Look, Ezekiel Sims is the most obscure person you could get on this list, Michael. Go on. Um, we've seen him on screen before, believe it or not. Um, the psychiatrist, sorry, the psychologist scene in Across the Spider-Verse, where all the Spider-Men burst into a psychologist's office. I remember that. As he's giving a therapy session. Yes. The therapist is Ezekiel Sims, and we know that because it says Ezekiel Sims on his diploma on the wall at the back. Does and that it? is in keeping. Yeah. So we have technically seen this character before, Michael. He appeared uh, in 2001, Michael, um, in The Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2, number 30. which And he was written by none other than, is it Farspace? No, Babylon 5. Oh, J. Michael Strachinikskidibbam. Strachinsky? Yep, J. Michael Jazz um, <laughs> and artist John Romita Jr. Who came back? He kept going. He's back, he's non-stop. This was during J. Michael Strahinsky's insistence on everything being some sort of weird spider totem era, was it? Yeah, and this is exactly what that is, Michael. So Ezekiel Sims is a bit of a, he's a bit of a, a billionaire philanthropist in a classic sense, Michael. Okay, go on. A real bad And uh, he gets his powers in a, in a weird way, Michael. He goes to Peru. Oh, yeah. To the Amazon. And he's in the Amazon, Michael. And he interacts with a spider totem in a pyramid. Oh, fabulous. And they give him the powers. So his are mystical. 
He's got mystical spider powers as opposed to scientific spider mm. powers. Fabulous um, J. Michael Strahinsky nonsense. Yeah. And he's only ever really played a role in a very limited arc. He kind of he's a forerunner for a character called Morlin Michael. Spider Vampire Man. Yeah, the vampire man that kills Peter Parker's across the timelines. Mm. And uh, yeah, him and Spider-Man have scraps every once in a while. In this trailer, Michael, he seems to be, oh, I've seen a terrible future and I won't let it come to pass. Mm. And uh, he's kind of doing a bit of that. And that leads us to the three ladies, Michael. There's so many. Or or they thems. We don't know. We're not sure. So there's three Spider-Women here and there's three relatively popular characters. Sydney Sweeney's there, Michael. She's very popular. She's out of uh, Euphoria or whatever. Off, out of the euphoria, Michael. Yeah. She's out of the euphoria and season one of The White Lotus. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't recognise her from Adam Ben. No. Celeste O'Connor is there as well, Michael. Who's she? Celeste O'Connor is... Hang on, let me get the... Let me get it up here. Sounds like one of our lads. Uh, she does She does have the classic um, O to her name <laughs> that's required. Um Celeste O'Connor has been in a few things. She's playing Matty Franklin in this, Michael. And she's been in a few things, including Ghostbusters Afterlife. Was she? I don't remember. Yes, but that's all right, Michael. You don't have to remember everyone. It's only a weekly pop culture podcast. And then we also have Isabella Mer... Mer- oh, I'm going to get this wrong. Mer- Merced? Yeah, Merced. Mer- I don't know. Merced. I'm not sure how to say that, Michael. But in keeping with our Spanish tone of the week, she was in Transformers the last night, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Great film. Um, yeah, notably one of the best. But they're playing three different Spider-Women, Michael, from across the Spider-Verse. Julia Carpenter is being played by Sweeney Sweeney. She's Spider-Woman. Yeah, yeah. She's the black and white she, Spider-Woman. She's the black and white Spider-Woman, Michael. Not the yellow Michael, and red and she, Spider-Woman. Not the yellow and red Spider-Woman. That's somebody else, Michael. She's not in this um, at all. She has... No, she's not. Um, Jessica Drew is not... In this at all. Not Jessica Drew? Yeah. Who is this? Yeah, no, it is Jessica Drew. It is Jessica yeah. Drew. I it's amazing that, so confused. It's amazing that there's a Spider-Woman film with four Spider-Women in it, and all four of them are not the most famous one. Yeah, not at all. Not at all, Michael. This is mad. Um, so this particular Spider-Woman has psionic abilities, so they're a little bit telepathic, and that's how they cling to walls. Oh, very do good. Do things like that. Um, so she's one of the ones that our good friend Ezekiel Sims wants to kill. The next one is Matty Franklin, and she's playing Spider-Woman as well. <laughs> oh, they're both called Spider-Woman. Um, Matty Franklin, Michael, um, she has the same kind of physical ha- enhancements as most Spider-Women. Um, but she has venom blasts and psychic spider legs. Oh my god, psychic spider legs. I've had nightmares about yeah. those. Um, Matty Franklin is... Uh, I cannot remember for the life of me. I think she comes from the Mark Miller universe. I have No, she doesn't at all. She's Mayday, is she? No. No, that's Mayday. Mayday is May Parker. Very that's confusing. Peter Parker's daughter. Michael. She just she just ends up taking on the legacy of bloody Spider-Man in a, an alternate universe. Sorry, she's the niece of J. Jonah Jameson in an alternate universe. She becomes Spider-Woman. These are great characters, aren't they? I can't wait to see them brought to life on screen. And who's the last one, Ben? Who's this Spider-Girl person? So this is Anya Corazon, played by Isabella Merced. And she's Spider-Girl, not Spider-Woman. Oh, go on. Wash your mouth out with soap, sir. Um, yeah, and she's Aranya, 
Um, and she is a very interesting character. She was dubbed Spider Girl by none other than Jessica Drew, who's not in this. She's not even in this. It's not in this, uh, Michael. Um, her powers are identical to Spider-Man's with the addition of shadow camouflage and organic webbing. Oh, Ooh. very good. Benjamin, this all, they all sound like different variations on Peter Parker, Miles Morales and Miguel O'Hara. Look, once we get into Spider-Man variations, the only one, the only person who has more variants than Loki is bloody Spider-Man, Spider-Man. at this stage. Benjamin, you know what's weird about this, though? You know who would be on. great casting for Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman? Go on, give me more. Dakota Johnson. Dakota Johnson would have been a great fucking... And it doesn't even... Like, just do that. Just do that. What are you doing? And then it seems like she has spider powers in this. Oh, she does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she is Jessica Drew. But also Madame Webb. Yeah, but also Madame Webb. No, she's not a Madame Webb from the best little web house in Texas. That's not what it is. That's what I think it is. And that's what I'm sticking with. Sticking That's what with. you're sticking with. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Speaking yes. of strange titles for things, yeah. Michael. Yeah, what is it? I have seen yes. all of Blue-Eyed Samurai. That was actually my nickname when I was living in Japan, Benjamin, during the Edo period. Yeah, you were mad for the Edo. Tell us about the Edo period in Japan, Michael. What was that like? Oh, very difficult as a, as a foreigner or gaijin, Benjamin. Yeah, they did. They wouldn't have liked you, Michael. No, no, that not much. great stuff. Um, wouldn't have liked you at all. So, Blue-Eyed Samurai is the latest animated offering from Netflix, Michael. And because I'm a resident anime boy... You're mad for the old animes. I'm mad for the old animes, much to my chagrin, Michael. Uh, I've, I've watched it. Now, it should be noted, I watched this last week, Michael. Oh, go on, because right. Benjamin, people hopped up on the Discord and people on the Discord were ranting and raving about it. There was Nine Wassies who was up there and Brian was going, this is great. And I wasn't even going to mention it, Michael, because I didn't want to be a filthy little anime boy. Okay, go on. Um, but then, because we got such a rave request from, from the lads on the Discord, hop up on that Discord, ladies and gentlemen. Hop up on it. As many people have started to do, it's weird. Actually, I'll tell you what, Michael. What? I'll tell you what you could also do for us. What could you do? Before I give you the the trappings of Edo period Japan. Oh, is this genuinely set in the Edo period? I was just messing. Oh, no, you, you nailed it. Well done. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Um, I thought you were reading my show notes, Michael. No, I don't so read I thought you were miles notes. ahead of me. Um, not to be confused with Shogun notes, which you might have had in Edo period Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen... If you enjoy that Let's wrap kind it up there, of then. we don't need to do any more podcasting. You've just done the best joke of all time. That's it. If you Podcast enjoy, over. <laughs> wrap it up. Wrap if, it up. <laughs> if you enjoy notes, very that good. That kind of lightning quick wordplay combined with serious fracture-inducing patting upon the back of two white men <laughs> in their thirties and forties. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. And you've enjoyed it thus far. Please leave us a review wherever you listen. Yeah, especially if you're one of the new millions of followers. We know there's loads of you, so just go up there <laughs> and give us a review wherever you listen. Yeah, it's weird. Do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Samurai. You're great listeners, yeah. Very good. Um, so Blue-Eyed Samurai, Michael, is a 3D kind of anime. It's, it's beautifully animated, I have to say. It's really nicely done. And it comes from the husband and wife team, Michael Green and Amber Noizumi. Oh, cool. oh, I may have gotten slightly wrong there, but I hope I got that right. I apologise if not. Michael Green is probably best known for his work on Blade Runner 2049. Benjamin, I can, I can reassure you it is in fact pronounced 
Michael Green. Very good. I was very worried. Yeah. Um, and Amber Noyazumi brings um, kind of a, a personal touch um, because it was inspired by some very personal moments in her life. Michael, but we'll get into that in a second because we don't want to do that. So it's set in Edo period Japan and the Blue-Eyed Samurai follows the story of a young warrior who's driven by a dream of revenge and it's a classic revenge narrative, Michael. And one of my favourite things about that is that it never wavers from that. It is so revenge-driven and there's none of this heart of gold lying within stuff. There's none of this, oh, change of heart. No, she, they want revenge. They, you say? They want revenge, Michael. Now, I'm going to give you mild spoilers here. It turns out that our blue-eyed samurai, first of all, is treated like absolute horseshit, Michael, in Edo period Japan because they have blue eyes. Well, like me. Which means they're... Yes, which means they're a half-breed in this, Michael. Oh, that's racist. Yeah. Yeah, it's no good. It's no good. Edo period Japan, very racist against the West, Michael. Oh, probably deserving, though. Ah, we're awful. The whole lot of us. The whole lot of us, Michael. Go on, yeah. And, um, yeah, so they are also, though, a woman. Oh, like Mulan. I know. I know. So that she has to hide two things while she's going through this. And it's very, very interesting, Michael. Um, so they, they travel to Japan, and it has a massive cast, Michael. Maya Erskine... Um, is the voice of the blue-eyed samurai. Um, and George Takei is there. George Takei. Yeah, George Takei, which I always get wrong. Um, the wonderful Stephanie Hsu is there. Oh, yeah. What about her other shoe? Um, her off the the Everything Everywhere All at Once's. Oh, very good. Um, your man from Fresh Off the Boat is there. We see him in loads of stuff, and his name is going to escape me because I didn't put it in the notes because I'm a dick. <laughs> the main guy who's from Ant-Man. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Agent, watch him call it. Jimmy Choo. Uh, Randall Park. No, not Jimmy Choo. Oh, it is. Um, we even get an appearance from Sung Sung Shu from no Shang Chi from the Wonderful World of Mortal Kombat himself. It's uh, it's only bloody Asian TV royalty in the United States. Carrie Hiroki Tagawa. Oh no, get out of here. Yeah, he's in there. Does he but say, Michael, do you know what my favorite is part mine. is? Do you know what my favourite part is? No, go on. Her main mission, the main mission of our blue-eyed samurai, Michael, mm. is to track down the white man her mother had sex with and gave birth to. There were only four white men allowed in Japan oh, yeah. at the time of her birth. Well, one of them so she's tracking them down. No, it wasn't, Michael. You time-travelled out of Edo period Japan yes. before yeah. then. But, Michael, she tracks down one of them. His name is Abijah Fowler, Michael. Okay, yeah, great name. And he's from Northern Ireland. Get out of town, is he? And he's voiced by none other than Kenneth Branagh. One Kenneth Branagh, Benjamin. But Benjamin, there was no <laughs> Northern Ireland in the Edo period of Japan. <laughs> Probably not, Michael. It was just Probably Ireland. Not. <laughs> Probably not. But come here to me. What? It was just Ireland, but he's part of the British Empire, Michael. And he's bringing guns into Japan. Oh, like Tom Cruise. That's what he's... Exactly. That's what he's doing. Except he's a bastard, Michael. He has a whole plan to take down the Shogun using guns. Because Japan's still in their, oh, swords are honourable era. And Abijah Fowler's like, well, guns aren't. I think that's the plot of Tom Cruise goes to Japan. 
Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Imagine if Tom Cruise was a big, devious bastard from Northern Ireland, voiced oh. by Kenneth Branagh. Oh, that'd be good. I'd watch that. Yeah, it'd be very good. Michael, this has action sequences that would take your breath away. Beautifully choreographed, beautifully animated. The voice acting is top class. The stories are very heartfelt. Um, there's a genuine drive. You end up really rooting for some of these characters and incredibly morally conflicted for others. Um, the blue-eyed samurai herself is phenomenal. Um, she's Mizu. That's, that's the name of the character. And... She's such an interesting character. She is the definition of a flawed hero because she continuously comes up against terrible, terrible things, but she's such a good swordsman that she pulls it off. And she's continually confronted by other characters being like, could you not take the high road here? And she's like, no, revenge. And it's great. You could be the bigger person, you know. To the the point that her, you know, spoilers for the, the show, but to the point that her own quest for revenge... Uh, to the point that her own quest for revenge, Michael, is <laughs> is scuppered by her endless thirst for it. So she doesn't even get to take the revenge she wanted on Abijah Fowler because she keeps him alive to continue the revenge quest. Mm. Very interesting. Sounds good. Sounds fascinating. Uh, it's absolutely class. Um, it's incredible storytelling. It doesn't feel that racist to watch, Michael, which is nice, <laughs> you know. It, it now, genuinely doesn't, and I'm I'm kind of into it. Um, yeah, it's a it's a really really interesting story. As I said, beautifully animated, very heartfelt. Um, you know, and as I said, it was inspired by some of uh, Noyazumi's own things, um, including a very difficult childhood where um, she was basically horrifically bullied for having Asian heritage. Oh. Um, and she decided to invert that and look at what would have happened had it been the other way around. And it wouldn't have been fucking great. Well, there would have been more killing, most likely. Probably more swords, yeah. yeah, yeah Probably more, sword. more swords. A lot more swords. Benjamin. Yeah. Speaking of horrific childhoods. Go on. We've had some big revelations this week. Yeah. So as you know, one of the ongoing mysteries of this podcast is exactly where and when Ben Colaby came from. Yep. And so I, unbeknownst to you, Ben, and I'm sorry to out you unexpectedly oh, like this on the podcast, I managed to get a small sample of your DNA, which I sent Fuck. off to this week's sponsors, 23andMe. And <laughs> I'm sure, Benjamin, that as part of their sponsorship arrangement, it's fine that I did that without your consent because, in fact, it didn't happen. So this is all bullshit, just in case that's not because clear. none of that's true, ladies <laughs> And we get in trouble with 23andMe. But Benjamin, yeah. anyway, the DNA test came back. Come and on. it has revealed that your lingering secret is, in fact, that you are not Benjamin Colopy. You are actually yeah. the long-lost scion of the Disney family. And you are yeah. Benjamin J. Disney. And you yeah, have that's been, me. And you have been planted by the Disney family into the world right. of podcasting. Okay. To undermine the world of podcasting on behalf of the big capitalists. <laughs> now, Benjamin, what do you say to that accusation? But explain why I'm so shit and can't get any kind of success in the podcasting <laughs> field. Yeah, yeah. You're on purpose. You just I mean, it sounds plausible to me, Michael. Sounds yeah. plausible to me. Anyway, that was just you a know. segue to talk about creepy capitalism. 
Yeah, Michael, it does sound like a creepy capitalist plot, doesn't it? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the third attempt at one of my favourite genres and explaining it on the podcast. Mm. Creepy capitalism, or as we call it on this podcast, Michael, what's going on in that creepy office? What is going on in that office? I don't like it. It gives me the willies. Michael, you and I have been somewhat fixated on this genre, me more than you, if we're honest, uh, since both of us watched Severance on Apple TV. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Severance Benjamin was an Apple TV series in which people could volunteer to have their personality split in twain. Yes. And they would have a work life and a home life. And their work life doesn't know what's going on in their home life. And their home life doesn't know what's going on in their work life. Exactly, Michael. It was a, it's a bizarre extrapolation of attempts at a work-life balance. Yeah, and it's fabulous, especially the creepy office scenes where you have people who just spend their entire life, no sleeping, no eating, they just work as from their perspective they spend all of their time in this gross and horrible highly lit liminal space of a shared office environment and needless to say michael consciousness blooms and our work selves end up developing their own personalities independently of the of the host personality yeah one of them can even turn out to be a gay fella One of them could even be a gay fella. Mm. Christopher Watkin, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't remember who his partner was. Oh, it was um, uh, that guy who robots pissed on. John Turturro. John Turturro, noted actor and thespian John Turturro, who will sadly probably only be remembered for being pissed on by a Transformer. Yeah, yeah. Bumblebee pissed on him. Bumblebee pissed on him. It was a whole thing. But, Michael, it's a fascinating genre, and the more our society crumbles and kind of <laughs> mutates into a hyper-capitalist state filled with the horrors of constant growth. Yeah. Nothing should grow forever, Michael. If it does, it's cancer. Yeah, um, it's no good. Come here to me. What? Creepy capitalism is popping up everywhere, Michael. No. Everywhere. Stop. Creepy offices. The other recent uh, entries were what's going on in this creepy office with all these white people? The other black girl, Michael, is what it's called. Yeah. And what's going on with this creepy office with John Ham? With John Ham, which which I can't actually remember because I forgot to include it on the I forget what it's called on the roster. I think it's literally called What's Going On in That Creepy Office. Yeah, yeah. Creepy Mad Men. Creepy mad. Well, actually, you could also say rampant sexism, homophobia, and misogyny. Um, and you wouldn't be wrong, Michael. No, but Benjamin, I'm not saying... But rampant rampant sexism, misogyny, and uh, smoking cigarettes indoors, they're all the fears of the 60s and 70s. Yes. This is a modern are. fear. This is a very modern fear, Michael. This is a brand new scary fear of capitalism. Go on. It's a whole thing. So there are a few things that mark the genre out, Michael, as its own thing, so you don't confuse them. Most of the time, Michael, what we get is a sinister corporate entity. Oh, the company. The company. Ooh, mm. ah. It's like the claw in Toy Story. Yeah. Ooh, the claw. Ooh, the company. Um, Upper um, management. Yeah, exactly. What we tend to get from that, Michael, is... Now, creepy corporations is nothing new, Michael. We've had them in Blade Runner. We've had them in Alien. You mm. know, they're a staple of sci-fi Tyrell. in certain cases. Yeah, the Tyrell Corporation or Weyland-Yutani. yutani yeah. Uh, Weyland-Yutani are there as well. But, Michael, the sinister corporate entity is Apple. usually a big, faceless yoke, capitalist machine, Michael. And ethics 
Who's heard of them? Mm. Get rid of them. Amazon. Employee rights? What are those? Apple. Apple. Yeah, those exist, Michael. We just don't talk about them. We're not allowed to because of the gag order. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that tends to mark out our more modern examples of this, Michael, and I suppose they've been doing it since the 90s, is the uncanny work environment. So the the, literally the creepy office. Hmm. Benjamin, we can't talk about this without talking about the internet. Go on. Because the uncanny, creepy work environment, and I used the term earlier of the liminal space, which is the internet just loves liminal spaces, Ben. Nom, 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 nom. Places between other places. Very good. Yeah, places which are like a bit wrong, like an an office block after it's closed or, you know, a, a parking lot in the morning before the cars start arriving. Very strange. Very strange and creepy places, Benjamin. But a big, big, big influence on this is the internet because there was a 2016 video, Ben, which which spawned a whole subculture called the Back Rooms. Oh, the Back Rooms, Michael. Peak liminal space fiction. Absolute madness of liminal space fiction. Fiction's probably the wrong word for it. Because there was a little 16-year-old fella, Ben, and he basically made a short video about what it'd be like to be trapped in an infinite, empty, yellow office building. Yeah, it's no good. And it's horrible and creepy. And there's a weird sense of somehow being isolated and trapped, but in what should be a fairly normal and comforting environment. Yeah, it's an office. It's and, grand. But it's an infinite, endless, creepy office. Yeah, it's no good. It's it's terrifying, in fact, Michael. Absolute horrible stuff. And Benjamin, the writers of Severance and creators of Severance were actually partially inspired by... Oh, they have to have been. ...by the, the back room. They've, they've gone on the record and said it. So yeah. who could have to- known that 16-year-old little Kane Parsons, Benjamin, who had a little weird idea for a YouTube video, who could have known? You see, I don't credit him with creating this genre. But he, he was just the one who tapped into it first because it was there. Yeah. It was bubbling under. Absolutely. It it originated, I think, on Creepypasta, didn't it, Michael? I think it's a creepy pa- uh, a Creepypasta Reddit thing. Yeah, it's one of those. Um, it's, it's such an interesting idea. So basically, you'll be trapped in this endless labyrinth of office space, essentially. Mm. Um and it's it's partially inspired by the horrors of capitalism. Oh, I hate capitalism. But capital. it's also it's also inspired by the awful thing that happens in 90s video games sometimes where you push against a barrier in the game too hard and there's a glitch and you find yourself in the weird underspace of the game. To use gamer terminology Ben, that's called no clipping. Exactly. And this was then branded as no clipping out of reality, Michael. Mm, fabulous. Fabulous stuff terribly terribly terrifying it's um, um, like it, it's it's akin to some of neil gaiman's work as well where there's a particular short story that neil gaiman wrote where you take a wrong turn in a city down an alleyway you don't know and then yeah. you you end up in the same city but it's abandoned and everything feels like part of the city but all the streets and names and places are places you don't quite recognize Everything's a bit wrong. Yeah, fabulous. Ah, oh, terrible stuff, Michael. Because every day, once you've read stuff like this, ladies and gentlemen, what'll happen is every time you find yourself alone in a space or a structure or on a tram or on a train, 
your brain will go, oh, fuck. What oh, if there's things? shit. Have I glitched? Um, have I no-clipped out of reality, ladies and gentlemen? And it's a fascinating phenomenon, and it really will unnerve you the next time you see it. But it's it's so present these days, Michael, in a lot of our fiction. A24 has just, well, not just announced, but they did way back in February of this year, Michael. They'll be working on a film, uh, film adaptation of The Backrooms. Oh, good. You know what they'll probably do? They'll probably spend a load of money on it and make it a bit soulless. Probably, Michael, probably. Um, James Wan is said to be working on that one, which will be interesting. Well, look, and it's only... James Wan is competent. James Wan is competent. He is, yeah. James Wan is He's a competent com- horror director. But I think the problem with this is... Go on. The setting itself does not a film make. Oh, yeah. So it's, a, it's an incredible setting. But in a way, putting a plot... Just on that setting doesn't work. Might not work at all, Michael. Because it's just getting chased by a scary monster in a spooky place. And Michael, we've all, we've all been on the streets of Dublin City at night. Yeah, 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 yeah. Chasing people yeah. around. And the leper. <laughs> We're the monsters, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. What a twist. That was a um, but yeah. I suppose that probably brings us back to the importance of the psychological manipulation of employees in the creepy capitalism genre, Michael. Mm, go on. And the hell that is other people mm. within this genre. Um, one of the one of the two core things, Michael, is the transgression against the whole element of a lot of creepy capitalism narratives. And that is to say that when you enter the office, and I chose my analogy of the claw aliens from Toy Story very carefully. Because they are all a homogenous whole, Michael, and they all toe the religious line of the claw. I see. I thought you meant transgression against the whole, as in the bottom. No, Michael. No. That's more like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre brand of horror. Oh, or like when your girlfriend's feeling a bit too kinky. Or that. Or that, Michael. Anyone's girlfriend, really. Yeah, yeah, anyone. Come here to me. Not yours specifically. Anyways. Not mine specifically. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Come here to me. The psychological manipulation... Who's going to be in more trouble for that, Ben? Is it me or you? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, don't, I think we're both fucked. Yeah. In the bum, probably. Sorry. Transgression Sorry. against the whole. Anyway, Benjamin. Yes, the claw. The claw, Michael, is the transgression against the W-H-O-L-E. Because I don't want another one of those. And generally speaking, the protagonist of whatever we're watching will transgress against that or resist in some form. Mm. And that will lead to a bizarre kind of punishment from the universe, the back room, the setting, whatever way you want to look at it. Or they'll be forced to adhere. Yeah. In some form. Get or back another. in your box. So there's a few comedic looks at that, Michael. The most famous being Office Space from 1999. Yeah, very old. Older than me. Uh, very old. But that features Ron. And Ron just gives up. He's like, fuck this. Mm. Fuck this. Um, and he kind of chills out. And the office is just like, oh, what's what's going on with this particular employee? But Michael, this goes all the way back. Go on. To when? To Kafka. Oh, very Kafka-esque. Very Kafka-esque, Michael. Um, so we throw that word around a lot. Franz Kafka was a Hungarian author. Frankie K, um, I call him. For old Frankie K, and long before capitalism has had kind of been embraced as the de facto state of the world, mm. um, Franz Kafka was obsessed 
with the absolute madness that is bureaucracy. Oh, I love bureaucracy, Ben. I'll fill in any number of forms for you. Yeah, you're, you see, so you would be, you would be a protagonist, or maybe an antagonist, Michael, in a Kafka-esque story. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So you, you are my antagonist in our Kafka-esque story, where you're like, I need you to fill out this form. I need you to sign this waiver. I need you. And I don't want to do any of that, Michael, because I'm afraid you're going to steal my soul. Yes, and your identity. Yes, and put it in a microphone or send it off to 23 and me. <laughs> um, but come here to me. Who, for most legal famously reasons, we're going to point out, aren't sponsoring this episode. That was a <laughs> yes, joke. for legal reasons, are not sponsoring this fucking episode. But he started writing in 1915, Michael. Uh, not Sorry, he didn't start writing in 1915. He wrote his most famous work, Metamorphosis, in 1915, about a young man who wakes up before he has to go to the office and he's only turned into a giant cockroach. Oh no, how unfortunate. Yes, a cucaracha, Michael, if you will. Or he's a giant insect. It's not It's not implied that he's a cockroach. But he's a giant insect, Michael. Um, and he's still forced to go about his day, which is terrible. Um, so he began writing about this. And this was fresh on the heels of the Victorian period where we fell into the trap of the massive classification um, kind of fetish that the Victorian era brought upon us where everything had a box and everything should be had put in that box and if the box wasn't there one should be built for it and it should be placed inside it get and back in your box it. Paddy yes exactly Paddy's included um, so in the metamorphosis a man wakes up transformed into a giant infect and he finds himself alienated from his work and family um, following that nearly 10 years later but actually 10 years later Michael is the trial from 1925 and it follows a similar kind of bizarre absurdist theme um, a man who's a arrested and prosecuted by a remote inaccessible authority with the nature of his crime never revealed to him oh one of everybody's biggest fears yeah so he's just transgressed and he doesn't know what he's done wrong and it's a little bit I suppose Michael like when you travel to a foreign country and you break one of the jaywalking laws or something and people are looking at you like you're a filthy animal and you're going what what did I do what I was just chasing that woman around at night I didn't know I wasn't allowed (laughs) to run across the road at a a non-designated crossing there's nothing wrong with that, Michael. That, of course, would then go on to inspire many, 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 many Soviet authors and none other than George Orwell. Oh, George Orwell loves pointing out the flaws in society. Remember that one he wrote about all the animals and they were like, some of us are capitalists, but some of us are communists. Yeah, absolutely. But in 1984, Michael, he wrote about how you can't transgress about society. And what, what book was that? 1984, Michael. I went, no. In the year it. 1949. He wrote, oh, I see. Yes. He was extrapolating the current trend of humanity uh-huh. into the future. But now it's very confusing because 1984 has come to pass. Yeah. Yeah. And pretty, things are worse than bad. that book. Um, sorry, it got worse than that book. Yeah, it's worse than many, that book. That book seems like a pretty mild take ways. on it now, to be honest. Yeah. So we've seen a lot of these, Michael. But I think in a in a very modern sense... We have seen cinema take up the mantle of the creepy capitalism genre. And one of the big ones for us, Michael, is one of the most modern ones and was a cult film once upon a time is They Live, starring Rowdy Roddy Piper. We watched it for this podcast about a year ago. We did. So that came out in 1998, or sorry, 1988, Michael. And that's all about a secret capitalist hyperspecies that's hiding among us. Mm. And Rowdy Roddy Piper's there and he's going to chew a gum and kick ass. And he's he's all out of gas kicking gum. Yeah. So here he comes. Here he comes. Watch out uh, for him. But yeah. 
So that genre has only evolved. And Michael, further to that, it's only fucking everywhere these days. It's all about the horror of the more modern workspace, Ben, because the modern workspace is a horrifying place. It is, Michael. So I, I came across a, a really interesting uh, discussion the other day about the, the vilification of cubicles. Oh, yeah. In, in the modern office. So now we all work in open office spaces. I don't. Uh, you don't, Michael. You live in a small cage yeah. um, and work from there also. Yeah, and I rattle it when I need food. Because you kept mentioning 23andMe on the podcast and they took everything <laughs> from you. They got me. <laughs> but it, it, the vilification of the, the cubicle space is something that a lot of Gen Zers would be like, actually, I'd quite like four walls so no one could see what I was doing all the time. Yeah. As opposed to the strange modern panopticon of the open office floor space. Mm. Combined with the absolute horror, Michael, of hot desking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's Ben's hot take on capitalism. Go, Ben, go. I want to hear it. (laughs) But anyway, long before we had turned back to the kind of glorification of the cubicle, the the homogenous kind of labyrinth and quality of capitalism became a central focus. So we talked about it a little bit there in Metamorphosis or The Trial, where Mm. you're in this endless maze of bureaucracy and everything is the same and you don't quite know what you're doing wrong. One very good example of that, Michael, it's not quite horror, but it is in its own way, is American Psycho. That's kind of horror-y. It's kind of horror-y. So Patrick Bateman is interchangeable with every other yuppie in that film. So he's literally interchangeable with every other yuppie in that film. Yeah, that's kind of the point of it. Yeah, it's the whole point. In fact, his whole lifestyle, Michael, down to the fact that he has a murder apartment that is then just sold on at the end. Or is it? Or is it? Or does he have a murder apartment? Or uh, That's kind of the core. Sorry, go on. Or are all their business cards the same anyway? Absolutely. It's just absolutely terrifying. What's the difference between off eggshell white yeah. or bone? What's, what's the difference? Yeah. How will we ever know, Michael? Mercy is the same as all the other restaurants. It doesn't really matter. But then we get more aggressive examples of that, Michael, in things like the Belko experiment, um, which is where everyone's forced to kill everybody in an office in in, um, Colombia for some reason. Including Michael Rooker. (laughs) Including Michael Rooker, who's there just... Just go around killing people. And that's very, very similar, Michael, to the other one that we've reviewed on this podcast before, which is Mayhem, which came in 2017, starring Stephen Yoon. Oh, is that the one with Michael Rooker? Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> one of They're them very my- similar films. <laughs> one of them has They're Michael very Rooker. similar films. But they're um, interesting, Ben, because with them, the, the creepy office is um, a setting, but it's not really the kind of same, know, to go back to the well on this phrase, it's not the same creepy liminal space. It's a setting for horror, but it's a yeah. very different... Um, very different type of horror from the horror is simply being here. Yeah, so the, the, I suppose that's a pretty good course correction there, Michael. The the true horror of capitalism is being forced to participate. Yeah. Oh, that's what yeah, we okay. really yeah, hate. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and I suppose what separates what we're talking about from capitalist horror in the likes of um, the Belko experiment where it's survival of the fittest in a financial sense or even American Psycho where it's money corrupts absolutely is there is something strange and creepy going on in this office mm. and we don't know what's happening. Severance hits that nail on the fucking head because it is just creepy. It's terrible. Benjamin, you know what? One of my favourite 
what's going on in that creepy office. Not necessarily from a series that's based around this concept, but it very much takes the concept and runs with it. And it's only three or four episodes of a show. But one of the best parodies of the horror and life-draining monotony of office work is the character of Colin Robinson from What We Do in the Shadows. Yes. And the episodes where we see Colin Robinson, who's an energy vampire. um, He is. An an invention entirely for the show. But some of the best episodes of that show are being with Colin in his creepy, generic, cubically office and watching him bore the life out of people while he's getting a cheap thrill from it. He feeds on it, Michael. He's, in in fairness, one of the most terrifying vampires on what we do in the shadows is Colin Robinson. Did I say vampires? Yeah, you said vampires. I liked it. Vampires love shampers. That's what they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the most terrifying thing about him, Michael, is he's just out there in the world sucking people dry. Yeah, in in creepy capitalist settings where and you they have can't to go. Escape. And one they of my favourite things about him, Ben, is he just shows up in office spaces and they don't hire him or anything he just shows up and settles himself in and everyone assumes he's supposed to be there which is fucking great and then you go to an office and you're thinking anyone here could have done that he's he's a sinister George Costanza (laughs) I think George Costanza is a sinister George Costanza that's true that's true but I think, you know, it, it's such an interesting genre and it is only growing. Like, the popularity of a show like Severance is, is proof enough of that. We did see that John Hamm thing was called Corner Office, Michael. It, it was yeah. released in... Tw- it wasn't released in 2022, but it was just kind of silently dropped during... Just after the... Not just after the pandemic, but not long after the pandemic and then kind of got swept under the rug because of the SAG after strike. Oh, is it So out? it's out there now. It's floating in the world, Michael. Could we have watched it for this? We could have, which oh, I've only sh- just realised. Probably should have, yeah. <laughs> so we've put this have. off so many times, we've forgotten that that's probably out. But, ladies and gentlemen, come here. What? Come here to me. Come here, what? come here, come here, come here, come here. Are you wrapping us what up? What do you... You're about to wrap us up. Oh, okay. Are we Are we not on wrap-up time? Oh, sure, yeah, 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 yeah. I thought there might be more, but okay. Oh, do you want a bit more? Let's You've talk got a bit some more. more on your list there, look. I've got some more on my list, Michael, but they're not necessarily very interesting. <laughs> um, I think one of the one of the interesting things probably that does come from this, Michael, is the mundane, the, the horror of the mundane, Michael. And Colin Robinson is a good jumping off point for that. Because it, it, there's nothing overtly sinister about him as a creature, but he is horrifying in his mm. own way. And we see the absolute inverse of that at play, Michael, in The Cabin in the Woods. Go on. Uh, which is by that no good Joss fella, but we all mention that because a whole bunch of people worked on the film, Michael. And that's wherein the horrors of fiction are turned mundane by a corporate setting. Oh, of um, course, there is the whole corporate side of that film. I was thinking there, what is he, what the hell is he talking about? That's about teenagers in a cabin. It's not at all, Michael. One of the interesting things about that is it sees the office culture or maybe the banality or the numbness to the horrors of reality that office spaces can kind of create and we see a bunch of people that are just doing their job in an office in a government run kind of office facility Mm. and they're committing unspeakable acts of horror michael but they're betting on it like you would around the water cooler Mm. 
or talking about your holiday that you're taking after this. You're two weeks off. Because mm. the real horror, Michael, of capitalism is that in America, you only get about six days off a year. Yeah, that is weird, isn't it? Weird that is horrific. Terrifying. Benjamin. That is horrific. The reason I'm yeah. surprised you're wrapping up is we didn't get to one of my favourites. And again, like I'm now going back even before the back rooms. Um, but we're going outside of passive media, as I like to call it. Have you ever played or heard of a, a 2011 video game called The Stanley Parable? I've heard of it, Michael. I've never played it. Benjamin, you would love it. Go on. So in The Stanley Parable, you join the game as an everyman at his desk. And the only company you have is a kind of omnipresent voice of a British oh, no. narrator. Oh, no. And you Not are the in... British. Yeah, the, exactly. The British, Benjamin. They're at it again. Um, but there's no, there's no combat. There's no action in this game. It's just basically it's a walking simulator. But no. the walking simulator is entirely set in this, again, back to the well, this liminal space of a creepy abandoned office. But what's great about the Stanley Parable is it's about narrative freedom and choice in video games. So there's a bit that sticks with me and it stuck with me for nearly 15 years at this stage. But very early in the game, Stanley, you as Stanley, are walking through um, a, a an empty office. A creepy empty office with mm. files and, you know, photocopiers. And, and uh, at one point the narrator says... Entering the room, Stanley noticed two doors and he chose to go through the door on the left. And then you as the player are going, oh. What if I don't want to go to the left? What if I don't want? Did did I? And then the game branches out from that, from that decision. Very interesting. Continues to branch out from decisions you make, either following along with what the narrator has suggested and who is the narrator anyway what's his role in you waking up in this abandoned creepy office what's the deal what is the deal i'm not going to spoil it because i think there isn't a deal the 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 game is the telling that's the great horror of creepy offices sometimes there's nothing sinister going on it's just living in an office it's just a creepy office Right, ladies and gentlemen, what's the creepiest office you've ever worked in? What's your favourite piece of <laughs> what's going on in that creepy office fiction? Mm. Let us know in a few different places. You can find us on the interwebs at www.seomrabeog.com S-E-O-M-R-A-B-E-A-G.com It means tiny room in Irish, kind of. You can also find us on our other Acast website, which is www.sherlockshullistenpodcast at acast.com Look, I've never been on A-cast. it. I'm sure it's great. That's grand. Does does the job, Michael. Does the job. You can listen to us there if you want. Oh, yeah. uh, you can also, ladies and gentlemen, find us on Instagram at Sherlock Listen Podcast. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can also find us on TikTok at Sherlock Listen. Literally millions of views. Literally hundreds of thousands of views. Let's, <laughs> let's, not, let's not jump the gun too okay, much. Okay, right, okay. But come here to me. What? Come on. Uh, inexplicably, people are hopping up on our Discord. Join them. Yeah, hop up on there with them. Discuss the latest episodes of The Blue-Eyed Samurai. Yeah, get up there and do that. Or, or, if you don't feel like interacting and you want to stay in your little cubicle, just give us a review wherever you listen. Give us a lovely review. Suggest the next anime that Ben could watch. 
Yeah, because ladies and gentlemen, next week, we're going to be taking a look at the best damn episode of an animated TV series. Oh, We're going to do a few of them. We're going to do a best of the Batman the Animated Series. We're going to do a best of the Samurai Jacks. We're going to do a a best of the the bloody Adventure Times. You know, we're going to have a look. How exciting. Yeah, yeah, or not, depending on how you feel about animated TV shows. But it doesn't matter, ladies and gentlemen, because you'll have to tune in for that episode and the episode after and the one after that in perpetuity. You're just going to have to stick your little headphones on and listen. Yeah. Because if you don't, yeah, something might happen. Yeah, get back in your box. Bye.